good morning, Claremont Bible Chapel. It is good to be with you all again. Um, we had a great time in Paris. Uh, so it's, uh, Paris is a, a special place to Kathy and I, so we were able to go for six days without the kids. And uh, it was hard to be away, to be honest with you. It was real hard. Uh, we'd get there at the end of the day at night and be like, wow, what do we do now? Uh, you know, <laughs> nobody's jumping all over us and, and asking us to do things. And, you know, when we went 10 years ago, um, of course, there was no kids. Uh, and it was a, a lot different. Uh, there were things that I'd never seen before. All these parks and other children playing that seemed to, I never took into consideration. And if you remember last time I spoke, uh, it was in Nehemiah 9. If you want to get ahead, you can go ahead and turn to Nehemiah 9. Uh, we're going to be back there again. The last time I spoke, it was on this idea that the, the children of Israel had finally experienced this, this change in perspective, that they had gone away from viewing things through their own eyes and their own experience of what's been happening to them, and they began to see things from God's perspective. They had spent uh, the good part of that month going through pretty much, it looks like, the whole Old Testament at the time, seeing the word of God given in such a way and then realizing that they've been looking at things all wrong because they've been looking at things from their own perspective instead of God's perspective. And it was interesting going back there now as, as a, a married uh, husband and wife and, and having children and seeing all the different things there, we looked at it with a completely different perspective of, of what the place is and what the place offers. Um, if you think about it, most of our error or most of our sin can be tied to the fact that we have a wrong perspective, even about the person of God, what God's like, um, what God thinks, how God acts, why he does the things that he does. Oftentimes we have this perspective, and, and I did before I was saved, uh, that God was just a God that liked to judge. He was a God that you were afraid of because at any one moment when you made the mistake, he was just going to come down and punish you. And you get this feeling that God is kind of like this mean, angry, uh, vengeful God, you know, and you get to know the God of the Bible. You get to know the person of Jesus Christ, and you realize you, you got it all wrong, that God is, in fact, not like that at all, that God is a God that is merciful, that wants to pardon, that is loving, that is kind, that is good, as we remembered this morning. And so it's interesting, just this idea of perspective. So now that the, the children of Israel in this last time, if, if you weren't here, just a brief uh, recap, uh, they had 140 years they had been in the land now, the, the walls were still in rubble, Nehemiah comes, they, re, they rebuild the wall, and as they're rebuilding the wall, uh, we see that the people become unified. They're dealing with sin, they're dealing with these issues, and they finally call on Ezra the priest to read from the, the law of God, to read the word. And they build this platform, and he's out there, and he's reading for hours a day. And uh, we talked about this idea of uh, being in a service and standing. Uh, all the kids that could understand would be in here, and for six hours we would be reading the word of God, and there would be a couple of people explaining it, because we, it seems that there would have been a language barrier, in fact, and there would have been some translation that needed to take place. So this is what's going on. So the people have, have been coming. They get to this point where they realize that there's a feast that they haven't been holding in a long time, and they say, you know what, we, we need to obey. We need to do this. And they say, well, you know, it's right around the corner, and we got to build, you know, tabernacles, and we got to build everything for us to stay here. We're going to have to get food. There's, it's going to be crowded, and they say, we're going to do it. And so for the first time, it says, since the days of Joshua, uh, the children of Israel remember the Feast of Booths here. And this led to seven days of feast time where they're 
going before and they're remembering and they're, they're reading the word of God and this is where all this reading is taking place. You get to chapter 9, this would have been like two days after the end of that feast period. So these people are still there. They don't want to leave. They don't want to go back home. And this is that, that feeling that maybe some of you have had in, in a conference or listening to a message where you just say, I don't want to leave this place where I'm at right now until I, I make everything right with God. The message has come to me in such a profound way. I am so convicted. I am so moved by the goodness of God that I'm going to repent, and I can't get up and leave this place until I do so. And that's what the people are, are struggling with. They're not really sure, how, how do we do this? How do we go about making things right with God? And what we have here in chapter 9 is the longest prayer in the scripture. And it goes through, uh, and we're going to go through it today. And I, I wasn't going to read it at first because it is long, but uh, in, in, in this moment right now, I've changed my mind, and I'm, I'm going to read it. Um, so we're going to break in at uh, the middle of verse 5. <clears throat> so we're, we're going to skip this reading of the names. And this is what they say. It says, Stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and everything on it, the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve them all. The host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldees and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you. And made a covenant with him to give the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, and the Girgashites to give it to his descendants. You have performed your words, for you are righteous. You saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry by the Red Sea. You showed signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his servants, and against all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted proudly against them. So you made a name for yourself as it is this day. And you divided the sea before them, so that they went through the midst of the sea on the dry land. And their persecutors you threw into the deep, as a stone into the mighty waters. Moreover, you led them by day with a cloudy pillar, and by night with a pillar of fire, to give them light on the road which they should travel. You came down also on Mount Sinai, and spoke with them from heaven, and gave them just ordinances and true laws, good statutes and commandments. You made known to them your holy Sabbath. And commanded them precepts, statutes, and laws. By the hand of Moses, your servant, you gave them bread from heaven for their hunger. And brought them water out of the rock for their thirst. And told them to go in to possess the land which you had sworn, them to, sworn to give them. But they and our fathers acted proudly, hardened their necks, and did not heed your commandments. They refused to obey, and they were not mindful of your wonders that you did among them. But they hardened their necks, and in their rebellion they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. But you are God, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and did not forsake them, even when they made a molded calf for themselves and said, This is your God that brought you out of Egypt and worked great provocations, yet in your manifold mercies you did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of the cloud did not depart from them by day to lead them on the road, nor the pillar of fire by night to show them light and the way they should go. You also gave your good spirit to instruct them, and did not withhold your manna from their mouth, and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, and their feet did not swell. Moreover, you gave them kingdoms and nations, and divided them into districts, so they took possession of the land of Sihon, the king of the king of Heshbon. 
the land of Og, king of Bashan. You also multiplied their children as the stars of heaven and brought them into the land which you had told their fathers to go in and possess. So the people went in and possessed the land. You subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hands with their kings and the people of the land, that they might do with them as they wished. And they took strong cities and a rich land, and possessed houses full of all goods, cisterns already dug, vineyards, olive groves, and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and grew fat, and delighted themselves in your great goodness. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you, cast your law behind their backs, and killed your prophets, who testified against them to turn them to yourself, and they worked great provocations. Therefore you delivered them into the hand of their enemies, who oppressed them, and in the time of their trouble, when they cried to you, you heard from heaven, and according to your abundant mercies, you gave them deliverers, who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, they again did evil before you. Therefore you left them in the hand of their enemies, so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they returned and cried out to you, you heard from heaven. And many times you delivered them according to your mercies and testified against them, that you might bring them back to your law. Yet they acted proudly and did not heed your commandments, but sinned against your judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. And they shrugged their shoulders, stiffened their necks, and would not hear. Yet for many years you had patience with them and testified against them by your spirit and your prophets, yet they would not listen. Therefore you gave them into the hand, to the hand of the peoples of the lands. Nevertheless, in your great mercy, you did not utterly consume them nor forsake them, for you are God, gracious and merciful. Now therefore, O our great God, the mighty and awesome God who keeps covenant and mercy, do not let all the trouble seem small before you that has come upon us. Our kings and our princes, our priests and our prophets, our fathers and all your people, from the days of the kings of Assyria until this day. However, you are just in all that has befallen us, for you have dealt faithfully, but we have done wickedly. Neither our kings nor our princes, our priests nor our fathers have kept your law, nor heeded your commandments and your testimonies with which you testified against them. For they have not served you in their kingdom or in the many good things that you gave them or in the large and rich land which you set before them, nor did they turn from their wicked works. Here we are, servants today, and the land that you gave to our fathers to eat its fruit and its bounty. Here we are, servants in it, and it yields much increase to the kings you have set over us because of our sins. Also they have dominion over our bodies and our cattle at their pleasure, and we are in great distress. And because all of this, we make a sure covenant and write it, our leaders, our Levites, and our priests seal it. It's amazing to think that, you know, in the, the matter of a month, the, the children of Israel would have been this um, well instructed in the word of God to remember all of these things and to go through all of these things. And as you can see, they are viewing it from this perspective that God was always good and they were always wicked. No matter how much goodness God would shower upon them, they would get to this point where in their own rest, they would just turn from God and begin to do things their own way. And if we're honest with ourselves, we can think of our own life, where there are times when there really is no trouble in our life, and things are really good, and we find ourselves wanting more, acting greedily, and we, we go away from the word of God, and we start doing things just to please ourselves just to make it better for ourselves, that we want more comfort, more ease, 
um, more fun, whatever it is, whatever it is that you struggle with, this desire for more. And yet God had provided everything that the people would have needed. And them going back and rem reminding themselves of all these times throughout their history when really disaster and catastrophe would strike uh, seemingly for the children of Israel and they would view it as um, God is just acting horribly to them or God has abandoned them, but really God was, was working to bring them back to himself, this, this idea of goodness. As we're going to go through this, we're going to try to re relate it in a sense to, to really to our own lives, but what we want to walk away from today is this idea that God is good. Um, the easiest uh, sin to believe and the easiest thing to doubt is this idea that somehow God doesn't want what's best for us. Um, it was really that first sin in the garden when uh, the snake would come up and would tell Eve that, uh, did God say that you can't eat of every tree in the garden? And it's like, oh no, it's this, it's this one that we can't eat or touch it. And Satan would say, well, God doesn't want you to have it because when you take it, you'll be like him, knowing the difference between good and evil. And there was that first doubt, this idea that maybe God's keeping something from me. Maybe God's hiding something from me. God doesn't want me to be happy. God doesn't want me to, to excel, whatever it was. But this desire that God really doesn't seem to be as good as I thought he was. And that's just the lie that we can't allow ourselves to fall into, this, this doubt God is always good. When you think about it, anything that comes your way in life, God only does good things. And it is the most difficult thing to get, to get our minds around. Even when it seems horrible, even when it seems bad, God only does good things to us. So as we're going to go through this, this idea, they decided that they're going to stay an extra two days. They're in sackcloth and ashes, they are they're weeping and worshiping before the Lord uh, as an entire group of people, and this prayer goes out. And as we go through this, the first section, it says, Stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. The first thing they do is praise God. And it's this idea in verse 6, You alone are the Lord. You have made heaven the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth, and everything on it the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve them all. The hosts of heaven worships you. This idea of the God of creation, when we look around and we see that everything God has given us in creation, the great power of God displayed in such a way that would be of complete benefit to us, that he would take the time to establish the earth in such a way to, to give us dominion over it and to sustain all of these things, that we could just dwell within it that we wouldn't have to worry about all these different things, that God would just set it up in such a way, the creator of, of heaven and earth, and this idea that that alone makes him worthy of worship. The fact that he is this powerful to create all that we know, all that exists, he's worthy of worship. This is what they're doing. They're praising him. Verse 7, You are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. Uh, what was so special about Abram? Nothing, really. He was a person. He was just a guy that when he heard the word of the Lord, he obeyed. It didn't seem that there was any special specific reason that he chose this person, Abram, other than he falls in this line. This line of the promise that he gave to Eve that there would be one that would come that from this seed the Messiah would come 
And so you have this man, Abram. He's called out of Ur the Chaldees. And when he goes, he doesn't know where he's going. He doesn't know uh, what it's going to be like. But he has this, what we say, faith. He hears the word of God and he chooses to believe it. And so maybe you're here and maybe you're struggling with something. Uh, maybe everything's good. We don't know. Maybe you're struggling with something. Maybe everything's good. But there's this idea that there comes a point in time when you're given a choice. And the choice is either to choose to do what the word of God says or to choose not to. When you make those decisions and you say, it looks like if I choose to do what the word of God says, it's going to turn out bad for me. I'm going to get fired at work. I'm going to lose a friend. Um, you know, my parents will be disappointed. Um, wh whatever the situation is, I'm, I'm going to make this choice. But if I choose what the word of God says, it's going to it's going to impact me negatively. So I'm not going to do it. That's not faith. That's lack of faith. Choosing to do it is faith. And so when we make this um, big mysterious thing about faith, all it is, is is choosing to do what the word of God says, even when you believe that it's not the right thing. You make the choice anyway. So Abram would say, I have a family here. I have protection. I have everything that I need. My, my father has lived here. I have lived here. Uh, everyone I know has lived here. And now he just wants me to pick up and leave the safety of my family and to go somewhere. Where I do not know why, I'm not really sure. But he says, I choose to go. And we see Abram goes. And he's rewarded for this. And it says he gave him the name Abraham. In verse 8, it says, You found his heart faithful before you and made a covenant with him to give the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Girgashites. To give it to his descendants, you have performed your words, for you are righteous. So we have God as the creator, and we have God as the covenant-keeping God, the one God that makes promises that he alone keeps. So we see the people of uh, the children of Israel recognizing this, that God indeed had made this promise to Abram, and God indeed fulfilled this promise to Abram. So there's this idea that all of the things that transpired throughout the children of Israel's history, that whatever God promised, he fulfilled. This is to encourage uh, the saints at this time. He made this statement where he took over the lands of all these people. In verse 9, it says, You saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry by the Red Sea. You showed signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his servants, and against all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted proudly against them, so you made a name for yourself as it is this day. Uh, you could think of the children of Israel at that given time uh, at the sea. We remember, like this, you know, is, is a very obviously a brief recount of the fact that they were there and God saw them and all this happened. But you, you do want to take your time to remember what was really going on at that given point in time. Remember, they were all kind of rebelling against Moses that here you brought us out to kill us by the, the sea because there weren't enough graves in Egypt. And there was complete doubt amongst the people. So you have Abram talking about this idea, a man of faith that went and you made him this great uh, name. Then you have this idea of this great redemption, but the people didn't feel that at the moment. And so one of the things I want to encourage you to do today, and if you have a time after, after the meeting, maybe after lunch, before your afternoon nap, if you don't have children, this idea that you take a moment 
to reflect back on your life and to remember all that God has done. Because in the moment when you are going through a, a situation, it doesn't feel like, oh yeah, no problem, everything's easy, I just choose and believe and, and everything works out. It, it's, you know, that's not normally how it works. It's normally like the children of Israel at this moment, thinking that they're all going to die, that it was the wrong choice, that why did they listen to Moses? Why did they believe that this was going to be okay? And here they found themselves, um, as, as the Vernon McGee says, between the devil and the deep blue sea. What are we going to do? Maybe you're there today. Maybe you've come in today and you just say, you know, I, I find myself just at, at this point in time where I'm ready to give up. I'm ready to call it quits. I'm ready to stop trying. I'm ready, you know, I, I've been working at it. I've been trying to do what the Lord has wanted me to do. And, and all it's got me is uh, heartache and pain and, and I'm tired. And there's not been enough good things going my way. And so, you know what, I'm just going to wrap it up. Um, I'm sure we've all been there before. Uh, this time when you just feel like, you know, I've, I've been working so hard and I feel like God isn't doing what I want him to do. Um, this attitude that maybe God isn't as good as I thought he was before. I want to encourage you just to just keep going. Just hang on. Just keep trusting. In the end, you'll be glad you did. And there's these moments that these people are having as they're looking back and they're remembering all of God's goodness to them. Uh, Kathy and I do this from time to time, um, especially when I'm frustrated at work. There's these times when I, I just want to stop and I just want to leave and I, and I, you know, I want to go do something else. And um, Kathy will say, you know, look at all the blessing and opportunity that you have because of the work you have. Um, we have opportunities like that when Kathy and I are, are thinking back to, you know, times in our relationship that, that weren't uh, great, um, especially before I was saved. And there were a lot of negative things that happened in that short period. And you would look back, and had I not gotten saved, you would look back and say, that's all, I mean, it was terrible. It really was terrible. But looking back, you praise God for it, that you went through it. Because you, you, you realize that God, the whole time, this, this idea throughout this, this whole uh, prayer, never left you, never forsook you, never gave up on you. All of it was for a purpose. And it's encouraging. So if you do have time this afternoon... I would encourage you just to reflect over your life, all that God has done. It's extremely encouraging. It's extremely valuable, and it always leads to worship. It always does. So there's this idea. <clears throat> they have this uh, idea of the calling, uh, the, the promise, and now we see the redemption of the people. Um, so in verse 10, he talks about this idea that he showed signs and wonders to Pharaoh and that God made a name for himself the same as it is this day. Verse 11, you divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on the dry land and their persecutors you threw into the deep as a stone into the mighty waters. Um, this idea that as the people were brought out, they were redeemed out of slavery. They were redeemed out of this land of Egypt and they were brought into this place where they could enjoy fellowship with God. Moses had gone to Pharaoh and said, we have a God, and he's asking us to go out into the wilderness and to, to sacrifice to him and to be with him. Pharaoh wouldn't let him go. 
So God does all of these signs and wonders to cause these people just to let them go. They do not. And we see the destruction of the army of Egypt. We see the saving of the people of, of Israel. And there's this idea that God had brought them out of this, this bondage so that there could be enjoyment and relationship with him. So he makes this statement in verse 12. Moreover, you led them by day with a cloudy pillar and by night with a pillar of fire to give them light on road which they should travel. So not only did he just bring them out just to, to wander, um, he brought them to guide them, to lead them, to be with them, uh, to give them this constant comfort. Um, we have this idea for us with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is given to us in such a way that it would be a comfort to us, our comforter, uh, there to steer us and guide us and to lead us along this path. I don't want to make distinction that this is that in the Old Testament, but that God is a God that does good things. And when he's doing these good things, it's to fellowship with us, it's to lead and guide us, it's to provide for us, to correct us when we go the wrong way. And unfortunately, a lot of us need correcting. You know, Noah will say, uh, you know, Noah will get in trouble and, and um, uh, the punishment is a spanking or, or the punishment is time out or the punishment is whatever it is. Uh, you get no candy. But he'll say, you know, with the spanking, he'll say, Dada, why can't you just spank like this? Why can't you just spank nice? You know, and I say, unfortunately, you don't get to choose the punishment. He would say, well, who gets to choose? I say, well, I get to choose. I say, well, why do you get to choose? I say, because I'm in charge. It's my job. That's, this is what I have to do. I'm not doing this because I want to be mean to you. I'm doing this because this is good for you. I, I, I don't want you to act this way. I don't want you to grow up in this, this selfish thing where you don't get what you want and you just throw a tantrum. You know, that's not okay. And, and that will not help you in life. And so you, know, you have this thing where sometimes we tell God, God, why can't you just... Why can't you just be nice when, when, I, when I do something wrong? And the, the point of the thing is because we don't pay attention. Even when, he, even when he disciplines us forcefully, we still don't pay attention. And there's this idea that uh, he's doing these things for our own good, and the quicker we go along with it, the easier it is. There was a point where Noah was around two years old where you know, he was at this real rebellious stage, and he just wanted what he wanted, and he was, he was real forceful about it. And it got to the point where he realized it's easier if I just do what he says because then I don't get spanked. So it immediately changed to where he wouldn't, he wouldn't rebel and he would just, I would say, you know, go do this. And he would just say, okay. And it was like a breakthrough. It was like, wow, we, we did it. You know, like, you know, but still now, obviously, that only worked for a little bit. Now he's back to being a normal boy. But the whole point of this saying, God means these things for good. So you look at this destruction of, of, of Egypt, you look at the, the redemption of the people, this leading, this guiding. In verse 13, it says, You came down also on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them just ordinances and true laws, good statutes and commandments. And this one point I want to make. Redemption first, obedience after. This idea of they didn't obey and be good and fulfill these laws and then God redeemed them. The redemption took place first, and now there's this idea that they walk according to these ordinances. The same for us. We don't have these, these laws, and if we're good enough, then we achieve this status of being worthy to be saved. 
the Lord Jesus Christ saved us when we were enemies, when we were sinners, when we were farthest away, and he brought us into a place of fellowship, and now he says, now walk this way. He gives us the power to do so. Um, redemption first, these commandments uh, come, come after the, the commandments for life. In verse 14, you may known to them your holy Sabbath commanded them precepts, statutes, laws by the hand of Moses, your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought them water out of the rock for their thirst and told them to go and to possess the land which you had sworn to give them. Um, again, thinking back to those times when they, fed, they gave them water, the complaining of the people, when he was giving them manna, the, the frustration, the, the, the disgust that the people would have. They say, why do we have to keep eating this every day? And it's like, is it not enough that you're fully taken care of in the middle of a desert for, you know, a million people. But they just were like us. They weren't satisfied. They, they wanted more. They wanted different. And this records it in such a way that the goodness of God in providing all these things. Verse 16, but they and our fathers acted proudly, hardened their necks, and did not heed your commandments. They refused to obey, and they were not mindful of your wonders that you did among them. But they hardened their necks, and in their rebellion, they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. But you are God, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and did not forsake them. Again, this whole idea of the children of Israel getting to this point where they saw things from God's perspective. How awful the, the, they acted, how awful they were in the past, and yet God was, was nothing but gracious, merciful, uh, kind, that he had a desire to pardon them, to forgive them for the way that they were acting. Um, this is our God. Our God is one that is kind, that is good, that is merciful. Um, and when you think about this, this idea that they were willing to leave what they had to go back to bondage, and there's this illustration that was shared with me when I got saved. <clears throat> I think it's a really good one, but sometimes we have this desire to go back to doing the things we did before we were saved. Or we would say a life of sin. Maybe you were saved at a really young age. You never had those um, issues, uh, praise God. But when you get older, you, you have a desire to do things the way of the world. You say, you know what, uh, that looks very enticing. I, I want to go back and do that. And uh, I want you to imagine the children of Israel, uh, the, the man's job every day was to make bricks. So he gets up, he gets the mud, he gets the water, and he, he's just making bricks, making bricks, making bricks. And if he doesn't make them fast enough, he gets beaten. So you, you, you stop, you get tired, you get beaten. You go back, you make bricks, make bricks, make bricks. All of a sudden, you see all these wonders take place. You're brought out of Egypt. You, you see the sea parted. You pass through. You see all of the people that oppressed you. All of your oppression, all of your bondage, all of your, your worry wiped away in the water, cleaned. And now you find yourself on the other side completely free. And the next morning you wake up and you just, you go back to making bricks. And you just, you're making bricks, making bricks, making bricks. And you slow down, you feel like you're gonna get swatted. You feel like you're gonna get hit and you just, you go back to making bricks. And somebody comes back and tells you, you don't have to do that anymore. Whatever that sin maybe you're struggling with, whatever that sin you may be desiring, maybe that sin that you, you just want to go back to, you don't have to do it anymore. You don't got to go back to making bricks. You don't got to go back to that old sin that gives you comfort. You, 
there is so much more that God has for you. Don't go back. Don't look back. This idea of going back under bondage. These people were ready to lead a rebellion and to march themselves back and say, please, you know, put us back in chains and, 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 and make us slaves again. It, it seems crazy, but we do it. We do it with our own sin, going back. So this is this idea, the one I love at the end, uh, that God did not forsake them. Of all this, God did not forsake them. Um, Verse 18, even when they made a molded calf for themselves and said, this is your God that brought you up out of Egypt and worked great provocations in your manifold mercies. You did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud did not depart from them by day to lead them on the road, nor the pillar of fire by night to show them light and the way they should go. Uh, You also gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, and their feet did not swell. Now, when we were young, and we, we, Kathy and I had the opportunity to go to Europe for about three months, and we walked everywhere, and um, we were too poor to take any transportation, so we used our feet, and you would just walk everywhere in the city. Well, when we went back this last time, you know, she's seven months pregnant, and so the walking the city was out of the question. But we would get to points where, you know, walking that much for a few, what, an hour? And it's like, I, I'm, I need to sit down. You know, my feet are swelling. And so you can imagine, 40 years in the wilderness, there's pregnant people everywhere, I'm sure. And you're walking around here, miles and miles in the middle of the desert, and to say that your feet did not swell? That's crazy. That, that's things that you don't even think about. And sometimes we have our own worries here in this, you know, this place that we live where all of our physical needs are pretty much met. And you, you find yourself in a, in a down state complaining about the way things are going for you. And then, you know, you're, you're, you're sitting at home in your air-conditioned place uh, with your feet propped up on the table and a plate of food in your lap and you're watching television. And then this picture flashes on the screen of... Uh, you know, these two kids in, in the middle of Africa and the older brother's got a thing of water and is feeding his younger brother from it. And it's like they had to walk for six miles just to get this canteen of water. And you're like, yeah, I still have it pretty bad, though, you know. It's crazy to think about the goodness of God. And yet these are things that we just, be, be, it's our nature, just whatever state that we're in, to want more to think that we deserve more. And these people have gotten to this place in their life and in and, and their history where they realize they didn't deserve any of it. For the first time, the people are standing there and saying, we were terrible to God. And look at how good God has been to us all this time. And they're remembering their history. Remember that time when they were going through the wilderness 40 years and their feet didn't swell, their clothes didn't wear out. They were fed. They had enough water. I would encourage you all to, to, to do that this afternoon. Think through it. All the times that God was good to you. Believe it or not, I originally planned to get through this whole chapter before time was up. Um, but I, it looks like we're, we're, we're going to stop here and we're going to actually end early. Um, so praise God, right? Praise God. We end so there's this idea here that, um, well, uh, this is a good stopping point anyway. This idea that the, the 40 years were up. 
And what it does show us is that the people were always looking for the next step. And this is the danger that we have for ourselves, the biggest thing that is going to really cause us struggling, the expectation of the next step. I'm eventually going to reach a point where this won't impact me anymore, where this won't affect me anymore, where I overcome this, where it's going to be different. You know, if you're a young man struggling with lust, you think that, oh, once I get married, I won't struggle with lust anymore. Uh, you know, you, you think of this idea of uh, um, just wanting this, this particular promotion at work. Once I make this much money, then I won't have any more need. Um, you think of uh, at school, if I just make that team, or we're always looking for, like, what comes next. And the children of Israel at this point in time were always looking for that next step. Um, you know, if we were just in the land already, if we just had already established these cities, if we had our own ruler, um, if we were able to subdue our enemies, then we would have this, or then we would act that way. And what this does tell us is that that's not the case. So <laughs> you, you need to get comfortable with the way life is now and work to being obedient in this state and not looking towards tomorrow. We don't have tomorrow, we have today. And so there's this idea that I'm gonna give into this sin eventually and it always creeps up and I always go back and you know I might as well just give into it now and get all this over with. You only have to worry about that sin today. Tomorrow's got its own problems, but you gotta get through today. And you gotta choose every day to say, I'm not gonna do that today. I'm gonna do what God wants me to do. And the next day you wake up and you say, well eventually I'm gonna, it's not gonna be today. It's not going to happen today. I'm going to choose to do what God says today. You only have to worry about today. You don't have to worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has its own worries. So I would, I would encourage you all as you, you think back and you remember the goodness of God, it would encourage you today. And the next day when you wake up, the Lord gives you another day, you think today. One day at a time. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for uh, this day that you've given to us, this day that we have to gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ uh, to remember your Son and Father, your ultimate goodness to us and that we were sinners going astray. Uh, we were sinners deserving of hell and, and you sent your Son that he would be a sacrifice, that he would be our substitute, that he would come in our place and he would die and shed his blood on that cross for our sins. Father, that by faith in all of that you have promised in that finished work of Christ, that we would be redeemed. And Father, we ask that you would strengthen us this day by your spirit to live according to the things that you've put in front of us, that we would be like your son, uh, that we would do things that are good, um, that we would do things that are right. Um, Father, we thank you for, for all that you've given to us as we look back on each of our own individual lives and all the ways that you've always provided for us, that you've never left us nor forsook us, and Father, that you never will. Uh, we're thankful that we have a home in heaven that is prepared for us. Um, we have a, 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 an eternal place um, with the one that has loved us unto death. And Father, we long to see our Savior. We pray this all in his name. Amen.